You ready? Yeah. All right. Well, so. welcome, Faith Church. Good morning. Uh, I'm sitting down with Pastor Jeff to talk about the passage that uh, he was going to preach from this morning. But of course, since we don't have services, um, this is, you know, we're in Lamentations. These are very emotionally heavy and rich passages mm. and sermons and presentations. And yeah. it, we were talking about how to do this, and none of us wanted to be the guy who just preached all this emotion straight at the camera. So Jeff and I thought it would, maybe it would be a little more helpful if we could have a conversation back and forth about the passage. Um, I mean, Jeff did all the work, he did all the prep, like the sermon's ready. I'm just gonna ask him questions and sort of be an audience as he explains it to me. Well, ready is a loose term, but... Well, fair yeah. enough. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Now we're not, we've never done this before. We haven't rehearsed this. We haven't right. gone through yet what we're going to say. We're just going to have an off the cuff conversation. I'm really not planning on spending a lot of time even editing this. So hmm. what just happened right. is we're going to leave it in. We're just going to yeah. leave it in. So we'll go for about half an hour, maybe 35 minutes or so or more if we get long winded as we preachers tend to do. And um, hopefully this conversation will be helpful, edifying, and we'll unpack the yeah. first uh, half of Lamentations chapter three yeah. for you. So yeah. why don't I start by reading the text? Yeah. Okay, we'll please. do that. Uh, Lamentations chapter three, I believe it's on page 816 of the Black Bible that's underneath the uh, the seat that would be in front of you if you were here. Since you're not, you'll have to follow along in your own Bible or in the Lamentations journal. Chapter three starts on page 28. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Hmm. 
This too is the word of the Lord. Hmm. It can be hard to say thanks be to God. Uh, yes. Uh, especially for those, the reality, the pain of those first 20 verses. Uh, yeah. As, as we get into this, let me, actually, let me just pray for us. Yeah, please do. Because uh, we typically do that on Sundays and God will bless the sharing and preaching of his word uh, as it goes out in different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, Father, it can be hard to say thank you for uh, just the the litany of uh, lament and sorrow that we read here and, and that we perhaps even feel reflected in our own lives, but we do thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have inspired the writing of this and you pray you promise to bless the the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word would you do that by your holy spirit uh, for joey and i uh, now uh, for those who will uh, listen later father do good to us help us to hear your voice and lead us to know and follow and worship you as a result we pray in jesus name amen Amen. Well, Jeff, can I start with a question? Yeah. How does chapter three connect to chapter two mm. and what we talked about last week? Yeah, uh, Joey did a great job last week uh, taking us through chapter two. So if you haven't listened to that, you should. Uh, I think particularly that thought of I have to go to my destroyer for comfort mm -hmm. uh, is really lived out at a deeply personal level here. Uh, and, and like at the individual level. Mm -hmm. So again, whether it's Jeremiah or some other inspired prophet or narrator, uh, chapter two is sort of the, the recounting of here's what God has done. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now this is, here's what it feels like. And here's mm -hmm. what it seems like God is like in the middle of all that. Uh, and it's just, as we heard this outpouring of a litany of, grief and sorrow mm -hmm. and loss and pain that, that we want to we want to unpack some of that as we mm -hmm. get into this. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe you can preview for us where you're going in chapter three. So chapter yes. two was name our sorrows. Yes. And yeah. this first half of chapter three. Yeah. Um, what are we doing in this? So we're going from half? naming our sorrows to really kind of describing the grief. Okay. And, and then trying to process through it and put some boundaries around it. Mm -hmm. uh, there, mm -hmm. There's an interesting, um, interesting progression and even structure um, in, in how this letter is written. And you may notice this in some of the New Testament letters. Um, you know, in our kind of storytelling, we tend to have a very clear progression. There's the characters and the, the problem in front of them. And then there's conflict mm -hmm. and how is the hero going to get out of this? And how's it going to get resolved? And, yeah, and it's and always then, graphed as like a line yeah, and rising right. action and, right. yeah, and all yep. that stuff. And, yeah. and then there's conflict and resolution and they ride off into the sunset, right. you know, whether right. that's Beauty and the Beast or, uh, you know, Every Western, yeah, ever made. Or, exactly. Um, Indiana Jones from right. my childhood, yeah. The Last Crusade, and, right? Yeah. Star Wars, and yes. you know, I always want to know well, what. I always remember thinking, like, what happens after they ride off to the sunset? And what happens is George Lucas goes on and makes another six movies that probably could have been left unmade. Or not as good, yes. Uh, yeah. But in a, in a different way, the mm -hmm. structure, particularly in Lamentations and you know, again, Paul's letters and uh, other places throughout the Bible. 
the the resolution is not in a sense at the end of the story there there's mm -hmm. a key there's a hinge at the center in fact mm -hmm. so we build up to here's the issue here's the problem and here's a here's a solution a key thought that addresses that and then you come back out of it in almost a parallel way to start mm -hmm. applying that truth to the challenges situations needs that were raised earlier Got it. and and so as we get to the second half of chapter three, now the narrator is going to start leading us to apply what we're seeing here at the center of chapter three, which mm. is kind of the hinge of the mm. whole book, and now start applying that back to the individual sense of losses and the community's mm. sins and brokenness. Mm -hmm. uh, and now there's we're going to have Lady Zion, Jerusalem, kind of come in personified and start to apply some of that sense of the message of guilt and rebellion and all that it's brought yeah. and now internalize yeah. that and try and start live it out yeah. and respond to it. Now doing this, of course, uh, individually and in community, it's, uh, it's risky. It's sure. very risky to sure. share your, your real griefs. Uh, and sorrows. And you were telling me about uh, a couple in pastoral ministry that you knew that, yeah. I mean, the, the guy's the, the senior pastor of the church, right? Yes. And started right. really sharing what he was struggling with. Yeah. Uh, why don't so, you tell me more about that? Yeah, this was this uh, couple, Chuck and Sharon Betters, whom my wife Amelia reminded me of uh, their names, and, and I mm. think we'd even gotten their book. Um, their 18-year-old son and his girlfriend were killed in a car wreck uh, on prom night. Um, and as they shared that, and, and I mean, just the grief, obviously totally unexpected, just, you know, gut-wrenching loss and pain and, and started wrestling with that in the congregation. For, for some people, that was, seeing their pastor do that was kind of threatening mm -hmm. and off-putting. Mm -hmm. uh, some people left because mm -hmm. they, you know, they couldn't, they themselves struggled with a sense of maybe I've lost something because my pastor that I was looking up to is so that, so now there's like a secondary grief. Yeah. Um, I can't really, I don't know if I can handle with hearing my pastor struggle with whether or not God is good and, mm -hmm. and what to do with all this. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, Chuck and Sharon also said it, that really drew a lot of people in. Mm. Um, it, it ultimately ended up making the church a healthier community where all of a sudden the, the pastor processing this out loud and, and trying to put some structure around it and interpret it through biblical messages modeled that it was safe to have questions. It was mm -hmm. safe to struggle. It was mm -hmm. safe to hurt. It was safe to doubt. Um, yeah. And, and as, as we, you know, you, we read through this, whether it's chapter three, like here's what God has done or I'm uh, sorry, chapter two or chapter three here, here's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. You know, this is maybe not going to resonate directly with everyone. Yeah, this isn't um, everyone's story, right? Necessarily, like that heavy of a right. grief. Sure, but if, you know, something my wife always says, um, or she said it frequently when we're talking about grief. It's like every you think of bench pressing, everybody has a limit. Yeah, and whether right. your limit is the bar or a thousand pounds, it's the right. same level of pain when you hit your limit. Right, right. So for some people, um, this this may not resonate that much because you may look back at a, a life where you had really a good childhood and loving parents and supportive community and and maybe you really don't see anything painful uh, profoundly distressing to to lament um and and that may be your case and if so that's great but 
I also probably doubt it a little, um, but because I, I think everyone is carrying some kind of a wound. And, yeah. and to your point, it may not be as big as someone else's yeah. wound or burden, but... But um, man was made for trouble as the sparks fly upwards, yeah. right? And, yeah. and no matter how good your life may have been, you live in a broken world. You mm -hmm. and I live in a broken world for broken people. Mm -hmm. And like the narrator prophet in the first part of this chapter, there's no reason for us to assume that he was directly, you know, rejecting God like the rest of the people, mm -hmm. there, that, that he was not involved in, you know, sort of rebelling against the Lord and his ways. In fact, probably the opposite, but he's suffering along with right. them. Right. Uh, and, and that's where this comes from. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't have any you know, personal deep griefs or sorrows to lament, then uh, that give thanks, you know, but at the same mm -hmm. time, this also encourages us to look for the many other people who are lamenting, mm -hmm. uh, to be sensitive to them and also just weep over the brokenness in the world. I mean, we're in the, we're doing this in the middle of, uh, you know, incredible uncertainty about the future mm -hmm. and economic issues and health issues and, uh, you know, everything else that goes along mm -hmm. with it. Um, so what's interesting here, I think just as in, initially, we looked again through these first 20 verses and here, and I think in, in other places in scripture, we see God's people really kind of crying out um, and expressing not even just loss, but you could probably read some anger into this. I mean, you talked about, mm -hmm. uh, we talked about the, the pattern of grief and guilt and grievance. Right. Uh, in that, the, that pattern is woven all the way throughout Lamentations. Yes. Grief, guilt, and grievance. Right. Like, okay, God, what, what we did was wrong, but did I really deserve this much? Right. Uh, and, and I think you, you kind of read that here in the first 20 chapters. It's kind of hard to miss. Uh, the first, when, yeah. yeah. The first 20 verses of the chapter. Um, now, in the second half, as we said, of chapter 3, he's going to acknowledge that all this... Uh, sorrow and suffering is a result of of the sin of God's people, and so in a sense, he's he's probably here. The narrator's representing the community of the people of God. Um, it, you know, you said something in our weekly text discussion around this passage mm -hmm. that uh, that I thought was just great. Uh, you said in our culture, lament begins where self sufficiency ends. Uh, that, yeah. that we yeah, that. we only tend to lament after we've done everything we can to try and fix the problem. Like a, a pain is just something we need to get beyond. Mm -hmm. You know, my I have a physical pain, so I take a pill or I exercise or I go to the doctor. Um, we're, we're very, you said, like we're very self-driven and self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. And so there's not much room for dignity in suffering. There's no real message to it. It's just a, a problem to be yeah. gotten through. Yeah, it, it really does feel like a lot of our, a lot of what we hear from the culture is if you're suffering, you're not trying hard enough, uh, which yeah. makes it, I mean, it, there is no dignity in suffering then. It's just, if you're suffering, it's because you're a failure. Or you haven't tried hard you enough. You haven't tried hard you're enough. You're not smart you, enough. You, you, you lack the will. You, yeah. yeah, all of that. It's yeah. all your fault. Yeah. And, and I think part of what's, I mean, certainly the, the message of Lamentations and what's going on here is a different perspective that, that mm -hmm. there's something going on beyond just the suffering, mm -hmm. that there's actually a meaning, there's a significance to it. And mm -hmm. 
as I was thinking about that, uh, what came to me is I, I think we see that here, this turn in chapter three, that knowing that there's a meaning or, or wondering, is there a meaning behind this suffering is both a huge potential, but also a tremendous problem and a potential danger for us. Hmm. Um, here, here's, here's what I mean by that. So look at the, all the ways the, the narrator, the prophet, um, expresses the losses that he suffered. I mean, there's, there's pain, uh, there's abandonment, uh, darkness, mm-hmm. uh, wasting away, um, I'm trapped, I'm trapped, I'm burdened, and I'm weighed down, and there's no way out. I mean, even uh, this imagery in verse 10, like the, the Lord is a bear lying in wait for me, and he turned aside my steps to tear me to pieces. He made my paths crooked, like, God, you lied to me. You've mm-hmm. misled me. Uh, I've been attacked. I've been beaten up. Uh, you know, he, he goes on to talk about uh, God has shot his arrows into me. I've become a laughing stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the object of people's taunts. I mean, the, the pain that ridicule can bring into our lives. Uh, and then there's just this sense of bitterness in verse 15. And then, wow, this imagery, he's made my teeth grind on gravel, like, like literally ground down and humiliated. Uh, to the point where I have no more endurance, I have no hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there in verse 18, my endurance has perished, yeah. so has my hope from the Lord. Hope is dead. Yes. I cannot go on. And, and there's a, a part of me that just feels like, um, wow, this is, this is a holy ground. And, and maybe we just mm-hmm. need a moment to let that sit there this litany of grief and pain. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe an opportunity for people to think about um, what does that look like in my life? How have I experienced that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you're watching this uh, with mm-hmm. friends or family, this would be a good opportunity to pause the video for a few moments and talk with the people that are with you. Like, when in my life have I wanted to describe God this way? Mm-hmm. Or when in my life have would these phrases apply to my emotional state? Like, I, he's probably not literally chewing on gravel. Right. Right. Um, there's no physical arrows. Yeah, there's no, he's not actually being shot, right. and, and God isn't hiding as a bear and all of that. This is all very poetic and metaphorical right. and all that. But, boy, you really can feel what he's feeling when he describes right. it this way. And just to recognize, like, this this is inspired. God is God is not saying this is a good place to live. Like, it's it's... We, we have, I guess, permission, we could say, to mm-hmm. be angry, disappointed at God, but he's not encouraging us to stay angry, to stay confused and disappointed. But if we don't go down into the depths and, and take this as an opportunity to you know, sort of borrow this language mm-hmm. to express our own experience, mm-hmm. if, if we don't go down into the pain and the loss of it, we're short-circuiting and shortchanging ourselves for the, the joy and the hope that God wants us to have. So this isn't really a place that any of us want to, or even that God wants us to live. Right. But it's a place that all of us have to go through. Right. At some point. Yeah. 
Talk to me about this image. Um, hmm. Verses 12 and 13. Hmm. Uh, it's the end of one sort of triplet and the beginning of the next one, but yeah. he bent his bow and set me as a target. Like we're God's target practice hmm. for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of hmm. arrows of his quiver. Yeah. Yeah. That that image really sticks with me of just being shot through like a pincushion. Yeah, uh, and I mean, hopefully none of us have had the experience of actually being shot with an arrow. Uh, so I'm I'm having to. You don't have any childhood stories of no. you and your brothers to well, share? Well, like, you know, not for lack of trying. Of being the youngest of three. <laughs> I did spear one uh, of my brothers accidentally with uh, a bamboo fishing pole, but yeah, this is your sermon, so yeah, you go. No. <laughs> um, if you think about an, an arrow blow, mm-hmm. again, not having experienced this personally, uh, I mean, it's painful, obviously. Usually you don't see it coming and there's mm-hmm. almost nothing you can do to defend against it. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is like, wow, that those are some of the experiences that we have in life. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all been hit by arrows in that sense it, with these sudden painful blows against which we, you know, we can't defend, we can't change it. It just hits us um, and ran across some really great insights a number of years ago around that imagery um, that, that the arrows, there's really two important things there. One is the experience of the arrow itself. But then the second thing is the message that we internalize around those arrows. We, you know, we suffer a loss. It could, it could be the death of a loved one. It could be divorce. It could be unemployment, some kind of rejection, some public embarrassment or, or shame. Uh, Those are all the experiences of the right, arrow. Right. Got or okay. sometimes, you know, maybe we even uh, imagine them. Like, I don't know if anyone else still has the weird dreams where it's junior high and I've showed up for a test in my underwear and I'm not prepared. Right. Like, so there's fear, failure, embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, right. Like, yeah. so... And, and I'm not even experiencing it, and yet it brings up these feelings in me. We hmm. experience some kind of a loss or a pain, and then we internalize a message from those arrows about the experience. There's a response yeah. that that pain generates in us. And, and at some point, we all have to face the question, what do I do with the arrows that have hit me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or maybe maybe a better way to put it is what what am I tempted to do in response to the arrows? Uh, maybe you know through some loss we experience as abandonment or or a deep violation mm-hmm. that feels like mm-hmm. some kind of abuse. The message almost always comes down to some something along the lines of protect your heart, deny the pain, neglect it, wall it off, run from it, numb it indulge it with some anesthetic. Yeah. Uh, but, but there's this sense of like, I really don't like that and I will not let myself be in that place again. Hmm. And uh, this, is, this is the part that's hard to do without having the community of people around me. Um, one of the big arrows that I took as a kid was when uh, my parents divorced when I was 11. Uh, I, I moved with my mom uh, as a result, halfway across the country from Illinois to Oklahoma, which, if you think about it, is feels like way more than halfway across. It's like halfway across the world, right? Uh, from Chicago suburbs you're, to... You're not in Kansas anymore, yeah, huh? Yeah. No, closer to Kansas, though. Uh, I mean, I, looking back over this passage, I mean, I remember anger over their divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why can't they just work out their problems? Mm-hmm. Why don't they love me enough 
to stay married together. Um, I ended up, of course, that you know, then geographically separated from my dad, and, and I saw him, you know, three or four times a year. And uh, when I just started to grow, I grew up just, I still remember uh, wanting a father's love and mm -hmm. presence and affection and wisdom. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the message that I took from that was feelings of rejection and abandonment, of devaluing me. Um, it led me to believe I'm, I'm not important to my dad and uh, he didn't really want me. And uh, I, uh, you know, out of that, I, I really became desperate for uh, love and acceptance and community. Um, and that's how I ended up in a social fraternity in college, which is not inherently bad, but the reason it ended up really becoming unhealthy is because, you know, it was a way for me to drown my pain in drunken weekend binges. Mm -hmm. um, it led me into romantic relationships that were not healthy, were not appropriate, were not godly, but I was looking to them to fill a longing for intimacy and um, acceptance. Mm -hmm. And um, that feeling of rejection. Uh, boy, there's, there's still a part of me that just struggles with uh, sensitivity to perceived criticism mm -hmm. uh, because that feeling of rejection and abandonment makes it hard for me to believe that anyone really loves me. Mm -hmm. That if you really knew me, you would reject me and walk out on me like it felt like mm -hmm. my parents did. And um, that, that must have played out in other areas of your life. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, need to, I needed to prove my worth, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I've shared, you know, not, not particularly athletic, so I realized, you know, I'm kind of gawky and nerdy. So I'm not going to prove my worth, uh, you know, playing football or, or even basketball because I had the height, but none of the skill. Yeah. Well, uh, those things don't matter anyway. So, yeah, right. Yeah, Isn't right. that what we tell ourselves? Yeah. When cer we can't do certainly it? not in junior high or high school. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, but I, you know, I'm pretty smart. I enjoy studying and learning. So I was going to be, I was going to be the smartest guy in the room mm -hmm. all the time. I was always the kid that raised his hand uh, to answer the questions mm -hmm. in class. I needed to, you know, have all the answers and get the last word in. Uh, made it hard for me to celebrate or acknowledge other people's gifts or successes mm -hmm. or accomplishments. Um, <laughs> it, it made me anxious. Um, as Amelia and I were approaching our 22nd anniversary, because that's mm -hmm. how long, about how long my parents had been married. And, and mm -hmm. I don't mean just like that year, but for like several years leading up to it, mm -hmm. this like growing sense of worry and stress, like, are we going to make it? Am I doomed to repeat the same failures and be divorced and alone and forgotten and abandoned? Um, so I... All of that is uh, to say, I think it's, I think it's important. I think it's helpful for us to take some time to think about how we've processed the arrows mm -hmm. that have hit us. Um, and how did how did they come to you? Mm -hmm. uh, where, where did they land? And what did they what did they tell you? Uh, and what have you done as a, as a result? Well, faith, we're learning. So that uh, your computer's fine, 
Um, we just paused it so that I could tell you that we lost video. We're going to keep going with the audio and it's going to be a black screen for a little while. That's okay. Your computer didn't break or anything. We just, the camera fell asleep and that happens. So uh, rather than try to recreate the whole conversation and make it sound like it was the first time through the conversation again, we're just going to keep rolling with the audio we've got. So stick around. We'll have video back at the end. The thing is also, you know, when we say like, oh, you know, we got to decide what to do with those arrows, a lot of it is not really a conscious decision mm -hmm. initially. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it hurts and, and we have kind of this gut level response, a mm -hmm. heart level response that's mm -hmm. that's much more emotional and visceral. Right. Um, it, it feels like an ambush, right? And and mm. we, we just kick into the fight or flight syndrome. Um, and, and out of that, we end up, often forming ideas and beliefs and commitments uh, that we don't even necessarily think about. It's a subconscious um, reaction yeah. to I what will, you've gone I through. I will never let that happen yeah. to me again. Right. I Maybe I'll never trust anyone again and, and then I won't get hurt. Mm -hmm. Or I will never be like my parents. Or uh, we, we end up with these, you know, all these responses mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily think about. And, um, you know, we, we said... Uh, I think early in the process through through some really good reading uh, of resources around lamentations that healing through this kind of grief comes through time, talk, and tears. Right. Yeah, I, I wrote that down because um, you brought that up in the, the first sermon on this. Yeah. Time, talk, and tears. So I'm going to write it down again. <laughs> I think a lot of what's going on here is, you know, the the writer has set the stage and, and has talked about what God has done and now here's how it feels mm -hmm. And, and that's this process of tears and talk, but, it, but we don't just stay there, right? Mm -hmm. There's kind of two, two dangers we, we want to avoid. One is, you know, maybe more commonly in Christian circles, we, we want to rush to get people to verse uh, 22 and 23 and mm -hmm. 24, Right. Uh, you know, and count it all joy. And yes, but you know, God has a good plan in this. Or you know, you shared really profoundly some of the grief and lament that uh, you and Jenna have had. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I can imagine not to dig that back up or rehearse the pain, but you know, well-meaning people may have said, "Well, well, but God will give you other children," yeah. or you know, or you can adopt. Or yeah. um, that may be true, but it may not it may not be helpful in that moment. Yeah. And uh, we don't know how long the, the prophet, the narrator is living in verse one to 20 before the turn to verse 21. Mm -hmm. And the reason those 20 verses are there is to give us permission and encouragement to be willing to go deep and bring the message of those arrows to the surface. Mm -hmm. And, and to try and put boundaries around it to mm -hmm. like, I think you had another great phrase, name it and frame it. Uh, we need to name it, yeah. but, but then we're also going to need to frame it mm -hmm. because all of this, the pain and, and the message of the arrows can really make us doubt the character or the promises of God. And so we don't, we may need to go into verse verses one through 20 and, allow God to do work there, but, but we don't want to live there either. Um, right. I, I heard a great, uh, another great line that uh, related to this passage that said, you can't fight a battle that you don't think exists. 
You can't yeah. fight a battle. And the battle here, you know, we tend to think that the real battle is the, the pain that I've experienced. The real battle is what I do with that pain. Hmm. And if I don't acknowledge that the real battle is not the arrow, but the message of the arrow hmm. and what it's saying to hmm. my heart and what I do with it, I'm going to be fighting the wrong battle. Because like you said earlier, the, the battle we tend to fight is how can I get out of this pain? How can mm -hmm. I solve the problem? Solve the problem, move on. Yep. Understandable. The larger battle, really, the really important one is how we process through that pain and what we take away from it. Yeah. Because all those griefs and losses feel like death. They, but it isn't death. And, and that's even part of what we have to remind ourselves of. Um, you know, the, going through deep pain like this and lamentations could, could make us... Um, protective and fearful, or maybe there's the possibility it could, it could really make us fear less. And now we're already running long on time. We spent so much time. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there is, there is a turn here um, to, to be able to bring those emotions out, to face them, but then also to put them in context of, of what I do know about God. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. You know, back in back in uh, chapter two, in verse thirteen, there's you know this powerful statement: uh, "Your your ruin, my pain is as vast as the sea." Mm -hmm. And maybe it really isn't that vast. I mean, I was fascinated. Uh, you know, again, this nerdy, you know, like like to dig stuff up. There's there's a place that geographers have uh, named Point Nemo in the South Pacific that is the most geographically distant point from any piece of land that you can be on the globe. Okay. It's 1,670 miles from the Pitcairn Islands to the north, uh, and Antarctica to the south, and then another set of islands to the east. 1,700 miles of <sighs> just nothing but vast ocean. And, and maybe it feels like you know I'm adrift there, mm -hmm. but maybe I'm really just adrift in Lake Monroe. Uh, and, and it's not as vast as the ocean. And so, so we've gone through this, you know, this whole expression of distress and what it feels like. Mm -hmm. But now there's this turn to hope and, and reminding ourselves, this is what God is like. Mm -hmm. This is what the pain feels like, but, but this is what God is like. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe it, we can't intellectually put those things together, but I still need to come back and have people help me come back to be reminded mm -hmm. of what God is like. Yeah, you said the word remember or bring to mind yeah. and right ni verses 19, 20, 21, like that's, that's the word that's repeated over and over. Remember, yes. like the, the, the poet here is saying to God, remember my afflictions. Yes. Because my soul is continually remembering them. Right. But then he looks forward and says, but this is what I call to mind, not yes. the afflictions. He's right. looking forward. So what's he going to call to mind? Yeah. Uh, so, right. I mean, there's an intentionality there. Mm -hmm. uh, that, mm -hmm. That's just what we're talking about. Uh, oh, sure. I, I, so there's involuntary remembrances of affliction yes. and voluntary remembrance yes. of who God is. Sort of like, you know, David in Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in the Lord. Mm. So he's preaching uh, to himself. Yeah, which yeah. we need to do and, and preach to one another in a, in a good way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you have your, if you have the journals, uh, our Lamentations journals on page 31, there's this beautiful, uh, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
which is, Joey, as you pointed out, is the first verse in this book that was, you know, like illustrated and put in this, you know, beautiful gold ink. I mean, right. we, we don't, how, for some reason, you know, like we don't needlepoint. I am um, the man who has seen affliction. Yeah, it's, it's, you yeah. walk into a house and that's on the wall and you think, yeah. maybe I'll get dinner somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, the Lord has blocked my path with ways, ways, blocks of stone and made my paths crooked. I'm like, I'd like to have that on a In the kitchen, point. it says, our yeah. teeth have ground on gravel. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yes. Uh, so that's true, but the message of them is more in the context of the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, you know, verse 23, they're new every morning, great is your faithfulness, where, yes. where we get that great hymn of the faith. Right. But we got to put it in the context of the rest of chapter three. It's not sunset and mountainscape and, you know, calm pastoral images of, you know, the cottage in the woods. This is, he's made my teeth grind on gravel. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. And out of that place of struggle and pain, I, that's where I need to remind myself God's faithfulness is true all the time. Mm. Not because things are going well, right. Right. but in spite of them going badly. That in the context of pain and loss and destruction and maybe no f- happy future in sight, God is still good. Uh, the Lord is my portion, he says in verse 24. Therefore, I will hope it. Portion is that sense of uh, like an inheritance. It's what I can count on. Yeah. yeah. What I can rely on, kind of the resources that are available to it me. It calls back to mind the Abrahamic, the, the God's yeah. promise to Abraham of saying, yeah. I am your portion, yeah. your very great reward. Exactly. So my, my portion, my inheritance, my guarantee is not knowing when my kids are going to go back to school or <laughs> knowing how this pandemic is going to work out. Or where or, I'm going to find more hand sanitizer yeah, and toilet paper. Or toilet paper. Right. Uh, it's not my retirement portfolio, certainly not this last week. Not, uh, not for another year or yeah. two or uh, more. It's, it it's back. the Lord himself. Mm-hmm. He's the only guarantee mm-hmm. that I have in this life. Mm-hmm. And everything else may be stripped away, but the Lord is my inheritance. He is the one I, thing I can mm-hmm. count on. Uh, and what comes out of that then in, in verses 25 to about verse 30 is this, Patient, humble endurance. Um, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And obviously in the context, not good in the sense of, oh, I can count on peace, prosperity, security, and you know, a pleasant future. No, uh, I can count on the Lord. I can count on his faithfulness and mercy and goodness. Um, and, and the waiting around, the waiting on the Lord is not just you know, sort of passive sitting around but it means faithful serving and following until God acts or leads in some different way. Um, okay, I'm going to make you say that again because I want to make sure to write it down. Yeah, it, you said faithful. It's faithful serving and following and until God you know, tells us to do something different or until he mm-hmm. moves in some different way. So, you know, again, in the yeah. middle of a, you know, COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic, what is waiting on the, it doesn't yeah. mean hunkering down. And just like waiting for it all to blow over, it might mean waiting for the Lord means, okay, this is my context. So waiting for the Lord to change the situation, how do I follow him in that? Mm -hmm. Checking on my brothers and sisters who Mm -hmm. may be alone, connecting with 
people in community groups, right. uh, looking out for people in my neighborhood to make sure they yeah. have what they need. That's what I was just thinking, that faithful serving doesn't mean um, frightened preservation of self. Right. Faithful serving right. means, okay, how is God going to use me in this crisis in the lives yes. of the people around me? Yeah, and, and of course, we think of all of the medical professionals we have at Faith who are being called out into this crisis, yeah. and they are frazzled and stressed and serving and putting yeah. in extra yeah. hours and all that so that the rest of us can calmly <laughs> sit at home and binge yeah. Netflix. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit, but yeah. at some point, yeah. checking on our neighbors, right. talking to older saints, right. bringing meals to people. And for those hmm. students who are still in school to continue to do homework and learn because, mm -hmm. you know, we're still trusting there's going to be a future worth preparing ourselves yeah. for. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This light momentary affliction yeah. will at some yeah. point, there will be a future um, and a hope. So, so to wait quietly, as, uh, as the narrator goes on, to wait uh, quietly for the salvation of the Lord, it's, it, the image is sort of this uh, posture of prayerful expectancy. Mm. Um, not, not waiting for God's you know, ultimate salvation of, from sin, which is you know, part of it ultimately, of course, but more like rescue or deliverance from danger. Um, that, that I'm going to wait and trust mm -hmm. that God will do right at the right time. Yeah. Uh, and then this image, interesting, it's, it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Now, you know, we don't, uh, we don't talk about yokes, but not an egg yoke, uh, Y-O-K-E. -Y like the, the big wooden brace that you would have across yeah. a pair of oxen that are, that are pulling something forward. So uh, it's, this, it's this image of, you know, bearing a weight. And to, to do that in one's youth, I think it means what a blessing it is to learn from our sinful mistakes while there's still time. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, better to go astray, suffer the consequences, and learn from it while we're young than to, you know, wander aimlessly for years. Mm -hmm. uh, always good to come to the Lord, uh, and whatever time that is, uh, but better sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. that, that bearing the yoke, again, I think it's, it's tied back to that image of you know, feeling the effects, the consequences of sin that God allows or brings into our lives, mm -hmm. uh, but because the, he comes back to that right in verse, uh, in verse thirty-two. Um, yeah, the Lord will not cast off forever. So I may be feeling abandoned and rejected right now. I may have felt abandoned and rejected in the context of my parents' divorce, yeah. but the Lord has not abandoned or rejected me. Even, even if I'm feeling it right now, and my circumstances around me may be desperate, difficult, um, but he does not cast us off uh, forever. And though he causes grief, maybe he brings grief into our life, either indirectly or directly because of maybe sinful choices, which comes up more in the latter part of chapter mm -hmm. three, he will have compassion mm -hmm. according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Um, he does not afflict uh, from his heart or grieve the children of men, which you, on first reading, I'm like, but wait, that's literally exactly what he's been doing. <laughs> I mean, he has been afflicting and grieving his people. And I, I think yeah. the way we read that is God's first instinct is not to punish. Mm. Remember the, the background to all this is God has been so patient and over and over and over again, he's been warning and calling people to himself and saying, hey, if you don't quit rejecting me and ignoring me, there's going to be a terrible judgment coming. 
Uh, so God's first instinct is that he is long-suffering and patient. Mm, um, mm-hmm. He, he mm-hmm. only gets to this point of punishment when that patience with sinful people doesn't lead to repentance. Mm. And, and, and he's saying, you know, remind ourselves, God does not enjoy bringing pain or allowing pain in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all this, um, I thought one, one verse that I came across from Psalm 62 that sort of brought this together. Um, one thing God has spoken and two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. And I think, boy, in this, in, in this central section of chapter 3, we see, obviously, God's strength, God's otherness, God's holiness, mm-hmm. His power, even judgment displayed. But that's ultimately in the context of His being loving yeah. to us. Though He cause grief, He will have compassion. Yes. And, and the ultimate expression of that, is, of course, is Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, thinking back to Isaiah 53 and this, this picture of the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected, mm-hmm. a man of sorrows mm-hmm. and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So, Jeff, let's, I mean, we're, we're going long here. So let's, yeah. uh, let's yeah. wrap this up right. and kind of bring it home for people. You said at the beginning... Um, that grief brings both a problem and a potential. Yeah. A, yep. the pro- and, and I was thinking that as you got to verse 32, but though he caused grief, problem, right. uh, he will have compassion. Yeah. It's the potential. So these arrows yeah. bring a problem message, right. but the potential to right. draw us closer yeah. to God I, in our grief. I, I think I was just reflecting on this earlier today. You know, one of the things that separates us from, from the rest of creation being made in the image of God is that all of creation suffers, even indirectly because of our sin, but we're the only ones that are able to make any sense out of it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, in our sinful fallen state, the sense that we sometimes make out of it is the wrong sense, and, mm-hmm. and we take the wrong message. But th- there's also the potential there to take... Uh, a life-giving, freeing, gospel-centered message out of it that, yes, though he brings grief, he will not cast us off and, and he will restore us. And of course, as we said, Jesus is the ultimate expression of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the hope that one day, the promise one day, Jesus will return and restore and redeem. But that carries over into this life here and now in the middle of the grief and the sorrow so that we can interpret those arrows in a healthy, biblical, gospel-centered way. So that it's not as though, you know, in my case, having walked with Christ for, you know, 30-ish years now, that I, I don't still have the scars and the, and the pain of things that I've walked through in my life, but I can read a better message into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that... My wife and my kids are not made to carry the weight of longing for acceptance and affirmation that mm-hmm. only Christ can give me. And finding my identity in Christ, um, I just I think back to even stepping into this co-lead model. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What? How that's been stretching for both of us yeah. to have to have our identity and our security grounded in Christ, so that it's a cooperation and not a competition mm-hmm, absolutely that you know we we talked to some other pastors going into this saying like you have to want to see the other person succeed yeah 
And if, if you're not on board with that, it could be a disaster. And I, I love that about you. And I, I try to express that myself. Uh, and hopefully people see that, that we want to cheer each other on. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Jesus frees us to do that because I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I don't have to have all the answers. I, I don't have to uh, you know, be protective about criticism or, you know, where I've done things wrong because my identity is in Christ. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, the, one of the best things that we can do through this, we talked about sort of in the middle was not just acknowledge the arrows, but invite God, invite others to help us in that process of figuring out what is the message I've taken from those arrows mm -hmm. And what does the gospel really say? What does Christ really say about me and those arrows? Because that's what gets the poison out. Uh, we, may, we may limp, we may have scars, physically, emotionally, whatever, for the rest of our lives, but putting those arrows in the context of Jesus is the one who has borne our grief and carried our sorrows gives me such a better framework, a life-giving framework for all the griefs and sorrows that I will go through. Amen. Um, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, as we said, this is the first time we've ever tried anything like this. And the 20 minutes of blackness where all you can do is hear us is evidence that uh, we're still figuring this out. We do it all over again, except it wouldn't be anywhere near as good. And we have another COVID-19 phone call in 15 minutes. Yay. So we got to go work on that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, why don't you pray for us? Yeah. And then sure. we don't know how we'll be coming to you next week. We know we'll be mm -hmm. studying Lamentations 3, verses 34 through 66. Uh, we'll have some sort of conversation or presentation around it. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, we'll be praying. Let's yeah. pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Uh, just as we said at the beginning, it can be hard to say thank you, uh, especially for these, these first 20 verses. But we do thank you um, that Though we know grief and sorrow and loss, those pains are not the ultimate message. Help us, God, all of us, to be willing to look at the arrows that have come into our lives, but even more importantly, to frame them, to, to bound them with the knowledge that we have of you, that, that you would help us call to mind and have hope. Your steadfast love endures forever. Mm -hmm. And that, that even out of those griefs, God, you can bring something good. That you can make us more sensitive, more compassionate, uh, more able and willing to bear griefs with one another. Uh, and to be willing to step into hard things because we know you are with us. And nothing we go through will separate us from the love you have for us in Christ Jesus. Help us to know that, Father, and to live out of it with confidence and patience and compassion and understanding for one another as you grow us together in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thanks Jeff.